Please open your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll read verses 6 to 9. Those of you that are not normally with us on a Lord's Day morning, Sunday morning, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians and have made it to verse 6 of chapter 2. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he continues to show how opposed the wisdom of God is to the wisdom of man. All through Corinthians, you have to think of the wisdom of God here, the wisdom of man here. The two are mutually opposed. They're, they're diametrically opposed. They're absolutely opposed, which makes me think of uh, visiting Chancellor Wells a number of years ago when Adam was taking care of him. And Chancellor Wells, being a humanitarian, uh, a very benevolent man, knew that I was a pastor, and I was in with Adam. I was Adam's pastor, and he, he tried to talk to me about uh, money and how important money was for a preacher and how successful was I being currently in raising money and, and how was money going with me and money, 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 money. Thank you. And I kept trying to stop him. You know, Chancellor Wells, I'm here to talk to you about your soul. Well, how's money? I don't want to talk about money. Money's fine. We're doing fine. We don't need any money. Well, you know, at First Methodist, we need money all the time. And finally, he began to talk about the pastor there and about the need for money there and how much time the pastor there spent trying to raise money, and how he, as Chancellor Wells, tried to help that pastor raise money. You remember this, Adam? It just went on and on and on. And finally I said, Chancellor Wells, listen, here's me, and here's that pastor. He's concerned about money. I'm not. Whatever he values, I don't. As a matter of fact, I couldn't be more different from him. We have nothing in common. Absolutely nothing in common. Money's fine. Now, this is the way you have to think about the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. It has absolutely nothing to do with each other. Nothing. The enterprise that goes on at Indiana University has nothing to do with the enterprise of the wisdom of God. Now, at times, there are things that help you that you learn there. Like, for instance, to read. It's helpful to read because the Bible is written, the Word of God written. And so it is helpful to read. 
And at times in Scripture, we will learn things like we will learn to honor those who are older, and that makes you prepared to have a professor who grades you. There are some things that go together. But what you need to do is think of the Corinthians as being a culture, a people, a church that were completely into being intellectual, completely into philosophy and and drama and wealth and, and art and everything blooming that it's into. And Paul is trying to hammer home the truth. We have absolutely nothing to do with each other. Nothing. If, if they're here, we're over here. Nothing to do with each other. And so you, you enter into this text and you begin to realize that it's the great, uh, it's the great, uh, system of opposites. We speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. And so he's setting up the antithesis. It is wisdom to those who are mature, but it isn't wisdom to this age. It isn't wisdom to the rulers of this age. The rulers of this age are passing away. Now, who are the mature who recognize the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ as wisdom? Well, the mature are those who have been opened up in their hearts and their minds by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why they're mature. They're mature because the Holy Spirit has broken their hearts. Their hearts were stone. Holy Spirit came in with a huge sledgehammer and smashed them to smithereens. So now they're pliable and moldable, you know? They're able to be worked with. They're able to be convicted of sin. They're able to have faith in Jesus Christ. And so those people are called mature. You might think that the mature are people that are older, people that are educated, people that have graduated from college or have a high school diploma, people who um, have the deep things of God, people who speak in tongues, people who have been fully sanctified, right? Right? Isn't it interesting how God has made the church to be the only egalitarian community that has ever existed on the face of the earth? And what do we do? It's our interest to always make it non-egalitarian. And so you set up a pecking order. Well, there are those of us that have spoken in tongues, and then the rest of you who someday, I pray, you will speak in tongues, or there are those of you who are fully sanctified and have entered into that new sinless perfection stage. And the rest of you who I pray someday will enter into that state of perfection. Honestly, I was listening to a sermon. It was an excellent sermon this last week on controlling your temper, which I needed to read and to hear because I was going to work in the garden the next day with my son. I just wish Joseph were here to hear me say that. Um, And then at the end, he goes on about Christian perfection and how, you know, he believes in Christian perfection. And I couldn't understand how he could do such a good job of describing the condition of hot-headed men, you know, in losing their tempers and then tell me that he was fully sanctified, which is what he ended up saying in the sermon. But that's that tendency we always have to separate the church into two, you know, the carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian. You know, the, the, the not quite sanctified and the fully sanctified, the people that don't speak in tongues, the people that speak in tongues, the, the immature and the mature. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not separating the church into two groups and aren't I important and, and, and above you. 
It's talking about those who have had their hearts made soft and pliable by the Holy Spirit, who instead of spending all their time denying their sinners and and claiming they have their sin under control, regularly confess their sin because the Holy Spirit is in them. And those who still are under what? Are under the slavery of Satan. Those are the only two groups. Those who are slaves of God and those who are slaves of Satan. That's it. That's it. It's really nasty when to be educated means making an endless number of distinctions for Scripture to constantly bring us in front of only two distinctions, only two groups, only two possibilities. That's what Scripture is always doing. There's the way of life and the way of death. There's the slavery to Satan, slavery to God. And so we're always confronted with choose this day whom you will serve. And so the mature are those who serve Jesus Christ, those who have had their hearts made malleable, soft by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, those who recognize the wisdom of God as wisdom, as opposed to the world and the rulers of this world who think it's stupidity. All right. Now, who are the rulers of this age? We speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age and not of the rulers of this age. Who are these rulers? Well, it's not just people who are senators or governors or presidents, uh, representatives, judges, but it's anybody who has a position of eminence that's a grand poobah, a muckety-muck. So it could be somebody who's good-looking and is an actress and People Magazine writes about her. It could be a poet that is, you know, published. Um, it could be an intellectual who has tenure. It could be somebody who's rich. It could be somebody who's well-born and lives in Boston. So, the, you know, the Cabots or the Lodges, right? It could be anybody who has a position of eminence. Whether it's because they're an excellent athlete, could be anything like that. That's what is meant by the rulers of this age. And what it tells us here is that this wisdom is not of this age nor of the rulers of this age. So it's accepted by those that have had their hearts opened by the Holy Spirit. It's rejected by those who are eminent, who are, who are important, and who are famous. And those are the only two groups. Those who are mature, and the Holy Spirit has opened them up, and those who are rulers of this age. That's it. And to help us run from the rulers of this age and from their wisdom, which is foolishness to God, he then reminds us of what their fate is. And what does it say about their fate? It says this little statement, this little phrase, who are passing away. Now, if you read that statement, passing away, I hope all of you immediately think of a psalm. I asked the first congregation of the first service what psalm you would think of. Immediately a psalm should come to your mind. In fact, a specific verse of a specific psalm. So somebody make a fool of yourself and tell me what psalm. Which one? Uh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, those are both good ones, but there's one that's much better. Who are passing away. 
Come on, somebody try. Yes! Was that Abram? That was Abram. Absolutely. And so without looking at the Bible, recite any part of that psalm. How does it start? Yes! Did you hear that? Young people, that's what you want to be when you grow up. Okay, Nicholas? Okay. Surely God is good to Israel, but... Go ahead. As... My feet had almost slipped. Why did his feet almost slip? Keep going. And then what does it say? Why had his feet almost slipped and his steps almost fallen? Why? Because he saw the ungodly and their wealth and comfort and ease. And what? And he was envious. How many of us have that problem? How many of us are envious of those who hate God? We don't think of it that way. Well, I think I'll set out today to be envious of those that hate God. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work like that. You know, I think today I'll be jealous of those who hate God. We never do that. What we do is I'm jealous of what? I'm jealous of the man that got in front of me in his car and makes me go his speed. I'm jealous of the woman that has more talent with the violin than I have. I'm jealous of the guy that got tenure and I didn't. I'm jealous of the woman that has children and I don't. I'm jealous of the man who has a job he likes and I hate mine. And so if you know Psalm 73, and listen, people, probably few psalms are more important for a Christian living in Bloomington than Psalm 73. Just trust me on this. It, I can't believe it existed before I knew it existed. But I remember when I found Psalm 73 existed and I preached it. And from that time on, it has been an unbelievable comfort to me. I'm going to read it to you, okay? Here's how it goes. Surely God is good to Israel. In other words, to Christians, to the people of God. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death. And immediately you think of physician-assisted suicide. No pains in their death. They're able to use a doctor or medicine or something to get rid of suffering. At the end of their life, they just go off. There's no pain in their death. And their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. And therefore, pride is their necklace. Their jewelry is pride. Isn't that an apt description? The garment of violence covers them. 
Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. And then here, here, here's the psalmist, Asaph. He says this, Therefore, surely, in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. In other words, you, you, you're envious of the wicked. And so you're in front of your children and you begin to complain about the portion that God has given you. And he says, if I had said this, I would have harmed, betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. And then I perceived their end. Then I saw what was coming for them. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. In other words, the comfort of the godly is to see the destruction of the wicked. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. I love that. I was like a dumb animal. I was so stupid when I envied them. So very stupid. And then I came into the house of God and I saw hell. I saw their feet slipping into hell. And then I realized what a stupid fool I was. I was so dumb, even an animal is smarter than I am. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. This is the statement, the faith of a Christian. I'm still with you. In other words, gave myself over to that so awful. Nevertheless, I'm still with you. The statement of faith. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So there you have Psalm 73. Isn't that beautiful? The Apostle Paul's writing, and he says, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are what? Who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Verse 7. So it's God's wisdom. So first, what we're not speaking, we're not speaking man's wisdom. We're not speaking the wisdom of those who are passing away. What do we speak? We're speaking God's wisdom. But it's a mystery and it's hidden. Now, what's that about? What's it about that, God, that we speak the wisdom that's a mystery and that's 
that, that's hidden. Well, this is a theme in Scripture that's scandalous to most people who claim the name of Christ. Most people do everything they can to hide the hidden part of God's truth. Because having Scripture tell us that it's a mystery and that it's hidden is scandalous to, to us today. And more so today than normal. And the reason that it's a scandal to us is that we have what we think is a highly developed sense of justice and fairness. That's deep in American political ideology. In other words, every American is raised to think he knows what fairness is. And if you've ever raised a child, you know that it comes from the womb. You know, you ever aren't fair with your children, and boy, you'll catch it. And no child has ever been in any way confused as to what fairness is when it comes to his siblings. Right? But it's not fair. You know, how come he can get a girlfriend and I can't get a girlfriend? It ain't fair. How come you gave me a wife who this, that, and the other thing, and he doesn't have a wife with this, that, and the other thing? It ain't fair. And so when it comes to the Bible telling us that God hides the gospel, the cross, and truth, and that it's a mystery. And we have to admit today to most people, most people know nothing about the cross. They may say that they know the cross, but you can see from their life that there's nothing about the cross in their life. There's no fruit, none, no fruit, no fruit at all. And so they don't know it. And so you say, well, why don't they know it? And the Bible says, because God has made it a mystery and he has hidden it. And we go, but it's not fair. God owes everyone equal revelation of himself. God owes everybody an equal opportunity. Haven't you ever heard of equal opportunity? And the Bible says that some, the Holy Spirit, gives the gift of faith and opens their eyes, and others, he has hidden himself from them. And it's all completely confusing and a mystery to them. Now, until you hit that truth, this world makes no sense. None. No sense. Until you hit the truth that God has hidden truth, hidden it from the broad path that leads to destruction and from everybody on that path, that it's not that God discovered how obtuse we were how stupid we were, but that God made spiritual truth in such a way that without the work of his Holy Spirit, it is entirely hidden and mysterious to man. Hit that truth head on, because it's a truth that's all through Scripture, all right? You see it here. God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom. And if you go to other places in Scripture, you'll see this theme used over and over again. For instance, you'll see that it says in Matthew, Jesus is asked why he teaches in parables. And it says in Matthew thirteen thirty-five, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. 
And then you'll see Paul in Colossians 1.26. He says, The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested, in other words, made clear, to his saints. You'll see that Paul, asking the Ephesians to pray for him, says, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. You know, uh, there are certain moments in your life that just give you such pleasure. And I had such a moment when I have spent so much of my time in Bloomington trying to get people who are a part of the university to be willing to be identified as fools for Christ. And it has been a thankless and hopeless work. In my experience, almost every academic I've known in this community cares more about the approval of man than the approval of God and hides their Christian faith in their discipline. And I've known a lot of them. And then along comes this dude. (laughs) Eric, you might want to leave. (laughs) And... He's invited, I'm sorry, but I have to tell this story. It's too good, and it will embarrass Eric, but I want you to hear it for the encouragement of you. And so Eric holds a position in in some department teaching something or other. I can never figure out what Eric teaches, but it has something to do with thinking or something. And he's invited to a birthday party, and it's a birthday party of a bunch of intellectuals from around the country. And if you read who was present at the birthday party, it reads like a who's who's list of the discipline that he's in that I don't understand and can't quite figure out. And, you know, they're from this school and that school and all the top schools, right? And here's how they're going to celebrate the birthday of this dude that he's going to his birthday party. The wife has invited them all to come, and they're going to spend the weekend reading original papers to each other and then responding. It's true, isn't it, Eric? Yeah, yeah. This, this is what people like this do to celebrate birthdays. <laughs> okay? And so Eric has been asked to give a paper at this, this weekend in, in New Haven, right? Yeah. And so uh, Eric says, you know, I, I've, I've written a paper. Now, if you're asked to read a paper, it, was he an economist? Huh? Uh, an economist, attorney, lawyer, something or other. What would you write a paper on? It's a bunch of unbelievers, probably, maybe one or two are believers, but the rest of them probably completely unbelieving. You know what Eric did? He wrote a paper on how it is of the character of God to hide himself from man. Can you imagine that? You're asked to give a paper at a party of a bunch of intellectuals, and so you read a paper about how it is in the nature of God to hide himself from us. And that's basically what your paper was. Does that please God? Can you imagine the sense of fairness in that room? And Eric says, you know something? 
God has made me for this moment. And at this moment, I will give the clearest statement of the gospel that I possibly can. And so how does he state the gospel? He states the gospel by showing how it is in God's nature to hide himself from man. I don't think there would be a way of more clearly testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the wisdom of the cross than what Eric did. And Eric's a real sinner. If you want to know how, ask his wife. So this is not about Eric being a holy man, although that was a holy act. Do you all understand that? In America today, to write a paper like that and read it to a bunch of intellectuals, a beautiful testimony to faith. Because what do we hate more than the teaching of Scripture? Now watch this. Watch it. Here's what it actually says. The mystery which was hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints... All right, And it says in verse 7, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God, what? Predestined before the ages to our glory. So it's not just that it's a mystery and that it's hidden, but God has predestined you to understand it. And you all know what predestined means. What predestined means is God chose you. And when did God chose you? When did he choose you? He chose you when? He chose you back when you were 13 and he saw that you submitted to your mother. He chose you when you were 23 and you decided to have the baby instead of aborting it. He chose you. No. It says when he chose you. He didn't choose you when he saw that you did something good and he said, well, maybe that one will work out. He chose you before the beginning of time. He chose you when there was nothing you could do to deserve his choice. He predestined you to see the gospel before you ever existed. When there was nothing you had in your hands that you could offer him. In other words, in his kindness, he made it a mystery and he hid it. And then he chose certain individuals to reveal it to. And he chose you before you ever existed. Before time began, he chose you. He predestined you to know it. And so if you get all depressed because, well, if it's hidden and if it's a mystery and I'm pretty dumb, how on earth am I ever going to understand the gospel? What the Apostle Paul took from you with mystery and hidden, he gives back to you with your being predestined before time even began. And so it's a comfort. People always receive predestination and election, God's choice. We always receive it as, well, it's so sad and it's so intimidating and it's so like unfair and it's depressing and what good does anything we do matter if God has chosen us but in fact the opposite is true if God has chosen you before the beginning of time then you're free you're free you don't ever have to worry because he chose you 
And you say, good, I can sin. And I say, well, that shows you're getting it. That shows you're getting it. Yes, you can sin. As Luther said, sin boldly. But you won't sin because your heart's now owned by him and you're his slave. Because he chose you. You have to. How could you not respond to him with love and obedience and confession? (laughs) Okay, so why did God choose you? Well, when did he choose you? He chose you before time began. So why did God choose you? And you know what I'm going to say if you've been around a while. What I always say is what? Just because. And you say, what do you mean just because? And I say, just because, because. And you say, well, there has to be some basis of his choice. What do you mean because? And I say, just because, because, because. And you say, no, there has to be a reason. I say, well, just because, 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 because. You understand? And you say, well, no, it was because I was born to a godly father or a godly grandmother. (laughs) And I say, hey, you know why you were born to a godly grandmother? Just because. And you say, yeah, but she was the one that influenced me and made me into who I am spiritually and opened my eyes. And I say, you know why she opened your eyes? Or here's a better way of saying it. You know why she opened your eyes as opposed to Johnny who went to hell and died? And you say, well, I'm her grandson. And I say, so how come you're her grandson? You say, well, I don't know. I've never thought about that. I say, just because. Because, 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 because. And it's not Bill Cosby. (laughs) It's because of God's mercy. In other words, the home you were born into, if it was a godly home, that was God's predestination. The grandmother that was godly. The Bible you were given. The church that you had the privilege of sitting under the the preaching of the word. The heart that's soft and mourns over sin. The wife who couldn't stop nagging you about your sin. (laughs) You know why you got her as a wife? Because because of God's predestination. And so now what's in store for you? Well, number one, your treasures now are that you have a soft heart and that you believe in the stupidity of the cross of Jesus Christ. In Bloomington, no less. (laughs) That's a miracle. And then number two, what? Well, here's how the text ends. Just as it is written, things which eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard and which haven't entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so God predestined you to believe and to see the wisdom that really is wisdom. He made your heart soft. He gave you the gift of faith. And now you cannot imagine what he has in store for you. You can't imagine it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever conceived of what is in store for those who belong to God. 
And you say, well, yeah, by and by, pie in the sky, heaven. And I say, no, here on earth, a hundred times in this life and in the world to come. And you say, well, I haven't seen many blessings in Church of the Good Shepherd. And I say, you are blind. You are completely blind. This morning I was over with Ben. That's my son-in-law standing there with my grandson, Zion, who is better known as Ben's son, Zion. And I'm looking at him holding Zion. If you had told Ben that he would have a son like that, that he could hold in his arms. Do you think Ben would ever have understood what you were telling him was coming? Has any father ever understood what it is to be given a son? Huh? Now let's talk about the mother. Has any mother ever understood what God gives you in a son or a daughter? How about those of you that have good marriages? (laughs) Can you imagine trying to have somebody describe to you what it would be like to have Jeff for your husband? Huh? Huh? How about as a church? Can you imagine what it's like to have Tim Wagner as an elder of this church? Huh? And then the thing that I'm noticing all the time is the young men and women who are here. (laughs) Oh, man. The privilege of being in a church where you guys are. Now, is this just a mutual flattery episode? Take it that way if you have the eyes of unbelief. But if you have the eyes of belief, Recognize that here in this life, God gives unbelievable things that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor any heart conceived of the blessings that he will give to us. You think about what you've been given. You think about the father and mother he gave you. You think about the mother who won't give in to you when you're a rebel and proud. You think about the older women of this church that have kept exhorting you to godliness. You think about this place that we can sit in without all the abundance of beauty that is such a dead weight on so many churches. You think about the reverence for the word of God you see in your daughter at the age of seven. And then think about heaven can't even conceive of what heaven will be like. We who are Christians can't conceive of the blessings God has already given us. Okay? I I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Imagine me having Hannah as a daughter. And then getting Lucas. Now, Bree, we're not sure about yet, but we'll see. That's a joke. Listen, people. The truth of God is stupidity to the world, but the world is passing away. The truth of God is hidden from them, and it's a mystery, but God has made it clear to you. 
And so what is your response? Your response is to believe. God chose you and opened you. And so you see it. And so what God expects of you is to believe and to live a life of thankfulness. And it'll be easy because you'll have a lot to be thankful of. David, how much do you have to be thankful of? You know, David could have spent a lot of his life with his wife regretting that he wasn't able to have children. And so instead, what happens? (laughs) Who has more sons in this church than David Canfield? How many of you are David's son? Look around, David. Look. Look. So, brothers and sisters, are you going to be a fool for Christ's sake, or are you going to be wise? If you're a fool for Christ's sake, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart, no mind has ever conceived of the things that God has for you in this life and in the life to come. So don't worry about those who are passing away. They're passing away. And if you wonder why you, the answer is why. What is the answer? It's just because. And once you say just because, you're a Calvinist. Because Arminians always have explanations for everything. But Calvinists believe in mystery. Arminians refuse to believe in mystery. They're rationalists. But Calvinists know that logic has its end, and it's quite early.